Welcome to the Startup Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Nick O'Neill, and this is episode number 14. This week, I'm speaking with Sean Ellis of Growth Hackers and Qualaroo. We discussed how they went about growing Growth Hackers and the framework that Sean likes to use when he thinks about new growth projects. I'm really excited to have Sean on, so let's get started. How's it going, Sean? Great, Nick. How you doing? I'm doing excellent. So how about we kick things off? I'd like to learn about how you got into the online marketing space before we actually start diving into uh, tactics, strategies, and sort of frameworks uh, that you like to leverage for acquiring growth. Sure. Yeah, I started in online marketing in the mid-90s, actually. I made an investment in a company and uh, joined the company in a sales role. And the company, it was a gaming company that was ad-supported, and we didn't have any users on the site. So I was commissioned from my sales would have been a big part of my, my income, and there was not really anybody to see the ads. So I took a temporary role helping to grow the audience and turned out that I really liked it. And I think the fact that I'd been an investor in the company as well meant that I was super motivated to figure out how to, how to grow the website. And uh, it ended up becoming the biggest online game site in the world within a few years. So that was, that was a good entry into, into marketing. Uh, so yeah, that sounds like a small accomplishment. You ended up building the largest online gaming site? Yeah, we uh, we ended up we had this great growth program that we cracked into. It was called Uproar.com. We, it got acquired in two thousand one, but we we basically figured out how to how to make the games portable, kind of the same way that YouTube does with their embeddable videos. We made the games embeddable in other websites where they could start a gameplay process on other websites, and then people would essentially qualify for for a cash prize, and then they just have this really engaging trail that led them into a game where they could play against thousands of other players. And uh, that set of games went pretty viral and got out on about 40,000 websites. And so, yeah, that ended up being a, a really good way of growing the business and uh, you know, took advantages of a lot of the benefits that, that the internet had to offer that other people weren't, weren't really tapping into at the time. Was that around the time of Miniclip? Uh, I don't I'm not familiar with Miniclip. What, what's the... They, they were embeddable games. That's all I uh, uh, remember. Interesting. This was 1997. Got it. Okay, yeah. I'm not sure if it was around then. Yeah, there was, there was a few different kind of game sites out there. At, at the time, ours, ours was the only one that I knew of that was doing embeddable games, but internet's a big place, so there could have been others too. Totally. So it sounds like you have a ton of experience in growth. I mean, obviously, that, that was where you started, but since then, you've been in growing companies for many years now. I mean, I guess decades at this point. So what I wanted to do was discuss, you know, the framework that you use for approaching growth for any given site. Before, when earlier on this call, when we were chatting, we discussed actually some of the strategies that you used for growing growth hackers and the framework that you go through in order to figure out how to grow a site like growth hackers. So maybe it would be best to start off Uh, real quickly with explaining the framework that you like to use. And then we can discuss how that applies actually to Growth Hackers, the site itself. Sure. So there's actually a couple of frameworks, as as strange as that sounds. There's, There's sort of a channel discovery framework. But even before that, there's sort of a new business framework where it's making sure that the product that you have is even something that people 
want or need. Because if it's not, then figuring out how to get it into their hands doesn't, doesn't really matter. So the first thing that I try to do is actually validate that it's got product market fit, that, that there's enough people that, that truly want the product. And then I do some optimization on conversions and, and get the value proposition right. And so it's sort of this three-step process initially. But then the last step is about scaling growth. And scaling growth really starts with figuring out how to discover what's going to work for you. And that's a process that um, tends to be pretty experimental. So when I, you know, I, I spent about 10 years in, in two companies where I ran marketing and then I started doing shorter term roles. And so it was really important for me to, when I was doing these interim VP marketing roles for about six months, I had confidence that those companies could actually grow at all and that I had a couple of ideas going into it. Generally, I wanted to, to know that I had at least two or even better, three ideas of things that might work because ultimately a lot of times it just what you think is going to work doesn't. And the only way to really know is, is to experiment and test it. And if, if you can get some action in, in an idea, then, then you can scale it. But uh, so, so the, the process ultimately starts with ideas and then prioritizing those ideas and then testing the ideas and, and analyzing if they're working or not. And then if it's working, then optimizing it to make it work even better. And, but it's basically this sort of repeating this process of just building up lots of ideas and then running them through this prioritization and testing process. Got it. So you're actually taking even the original idea of the business itself through that framework as well. Yeah, that, that ultimately in startups, the number one thing that kills a startup is trying to grow something that's not ready to be grown yet. So that's... That's what that initial process is all about, is just making sure that, it, that it's something that can actually be grown. And then once I've validated that, then it's about trying to figure out what's going to be the best way to grow it. Okay, so that makes a lot of sense. So let's use Growth Hackers as an example. I actually wanted to go through the framework that you mentioned, but I'm actually curious, how did you go through the product market fit process, or did you just say to yourself, we need this site? So... A network effect business is, is probably the most challenging type of business to start. So essentially meaning like any business that is not valuable for a single user by themselves. Growth Hackers, for, for just to give a little bit of context on what it is, it's, it's a community where a bunch of different marketers and just people who are passionate about growth are coming together, submitting articles, voting on articles, discussing articles, posting questions, and participating really as themselves. So unlike some of the kind of traditional forums where they might have a, a fake name or something, these are people really standing behind the ideas that they're presenting to the community and, and sharing what's working or not working. The idea for the, for the site itself really came based on myself, what I felt like I needed, which was a place where I could go on a daily basis for inspiration of, of things to do to drive growth, of things to test, that, that ultimately that process that I talked about is fed by good ideas. And ideas don't happen from just sitting in a room by yourself in a chair thinking of ideas. They happen from looking at what's working for other people, reading about how Facebook is evolving and, and different ways you can take advantage of the way it's evolving or how Google is evolving. And so there's all this information that you need to immerse yourself in to be able to come up with the ideas of, of things that might end up working for you. So that's what I, I didn't have a really 
good place out there where I could get together with other people who were passionate about that. And then the other thing that I had seen was uh, that people really lacked a platform for, for building their reputation. So there's some really great marketers out there, but most people don't know who they are. And it's, it's really hard for a marketer to get known in the community of other marketers. So that, those were the two things, the two voids that I was trying to fill. So a platform for building your reputation and a place to really be inspired about how to grow your business. And so I was pretty confident that the needs were out there because I'd been you know, working in marketing for 15 years at that point, or 20 years almost. And so we basically built the community to fill those voids. But then the challenge in, in a network effect business is that you really you're starting with zero people. So I couldn't even validate that it was something that people loved until we got enough people on it and could see if they're coming back and, and if they valued it or not. Got it. Yeah. I mean, that sounds really challenging. What I'd like to figure out then is how did you go about growing the site? And we can discuss it through the framework that you initially mentioned. You mentioned uh, ideas, prioritizing, testing, analyzing, and optimizing. We don't need to stick to it perfectly, but I'm curious. So you have the idea for it. The validation comes through you know, whether or not if a community exists as a result of your efforts, then it's been validated. So how did you go about growing that community? So the, the starting point was we had to simulate almost what, what it would look like with lots of people. So I was able to get a group of people who I was working with and, you know, maybe four or five other marketers that I, that I know from out there, maybe, maybe a bit more than that. But ultimately, we could go out and scour the web and start to submit the content. So every day I was going out and finding a handful of articles and, and each of these other 10 people were doing the same. We were essentially replicating what will happen when there's hundreds or thousands or hundreds of thousands of users on the site, but doing it with a really small group and then trying to get more people in there. So I had a, I had a Twitter following already of uh, about 10,000 people. And so being able to highlight it to those people of what we're trying to do. I was, I was able to seed it with enough people to where I could at least then start to research, you know, one, validate the need piece that I, that I'd mentioned, but two, also figure out how are people getting their inspiration today? Where are they finding their ideas for ways to grow their business? And we ran a Qualaroo survey on the site, just asking how, how do you discover growth articles and, and news and inspiration today. And most people said that they were doing it through Twitter. And so just in their Twitter feed, they'd see headlines of different types of articles. And when something jumped out at them, they'd go read it. And so that was the behavior that we were essentially needing to either displace or complement. So we knew that Twitter was going to be a potential channel for growing the business. And so what one thing that we started doing was we set up a growth hackers Twitter handle, started building a following on that growth hackers Twitter handle. I already had my following and I essentially tweeted every article that got enough votes that it was a quality article. I tweeted the link to growth hackers where people could then read the summary of the article and discuss it. And then if they you know want to read the full article, they could click through to the full article. But, uh, it was probably the biggest breakthrough on knowing that we would be focusing on Twitter was just asking those early users how, how they currently do it. And that gave us the signal of what to try. 
you identified the distribution channel that you were going to use and you decided to end up using Twitter versus Facebook versus what other options were you sort of contemplating? So Google is another channel that's pretty good for us, but it takes a little while for SEO to kick in. So, I mean, we, we could have done even just paid ads. There's a lot of different ways that we could potentially try to grow it. We could have cross-promoted it to the Qualaroo customers. That was our, our core business. And so we had a lot of people coming through there that we could have cross-promoted it to, but we felt we could get the biggest audience on Twitter. And, and part of this kind of prioritization piece is essentially when, when you have to think about how effective could this be for us? What is, it, what is the impact on the business if this thing really works? How confident are, are you that it, it, it's going to have that impact? And then how easy is it to test? And it turned out that Twitter was really easy for us to test because we could just start tweeting things. So the entry fee of that was was pretty low to, to actually just try it and to, to build up a follower. It was it was mostly very kind of manual effort. And then a lot of it was, again, doing that while at the same time going out and scouring the web for great articles and spending the time discussing it. And so it was really the teams putting a lot of time of just brute force keeping the ball rolling until we could get a hundred more users or a thousand more users to kind of help carry the load. And so the first month was really hard, but then after a while we got kind of over, over to the point where we could check out for a few days and, and the community was still rolling. How long did you say it was? A, few, a couple months? About six weeks of really hard work till we kind of primed the pump enough to where it was viable we're about a year into it now, and it's grown every month, and it's uh, pretty stable at this point. And so if someone was trying to go through the process of building a community, do you think that that same channel would probably be the most likely, most likely distribution, Twitter, that is? Or do you think, you know, in some cases, it may be Facebook, or other cases, it may be an email newsletter, or in, in other cases, maybe Reddit or somewhere. I, I don't know all the different distribution channels in this case, but do you think that your approach is sort of something that's replicable? So for Twitter itself is, is something that um, for certain categories, it's going to be, it's going to be really powerful. But you know, if it's, if it's retirees, I don't know very many retirees that are on Twitter, for example. So Facebook might be more appealing to them or it might be a partnership with AARP, you know, or whatever. Like, it, it, like ultimately, it's about figuring out where that, where that target user is, where they have the behavior, where they'd be receptive to your offer. And so that's where our target users had the behavior. They, they were in the mode of trying to find consumable content on Twitter. So it was a good fit for us. Okay. So in terms of your framework, you know, how are you going about... I mean, it sounds like... You just grinded on Twitter for the most part. Yeah, the first thing we tried really worked pretty well for us. It's not surprising. We just, we asked our customers, you know, we asked the early people on the site how they do it. And so once you have, once you have that insight, you know, rather than kind of a random guess, if, if you're actually, if you do a little bit of research, then, then there's a reasonable chance that when you try it, it's going to, it's going to work or it's going to be something that you can kind of iterate and test until you get it to work. All right. So that makes sense. And, you know, I mean, anyone who's starting a business would absolutely love for the first channel that they go after to be their source of success. 
I mean, that's an incredible situation for anybody. Obviously, that's not to discount the effort that went into actually building the community. But for most people, I would imagine that's not the experience that they go through. And even for some of your other projects that you've worked on, I'm sure you didn't hit it on the first go around, right? Right. Well, so like the game company that I mentioned, the big breakthrough program was this embeddable content that self-propagated across all of these sites. Before that, we were spending primarily on just display banners across a bunch of different sites. And it worked pretty well for us, but we, we were competing against Sony, which owns a lot of game show formats. So they own Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune. And so they were doing heavy television promotion. Plus, they were the number one advertiser on the web in display ads. So trying to go head to head with them through the channels where they could just throw money at it was probably not a place where we would ever pass them. You know, it was it was something where we might be able to be a proportional little player compared to them. But by sort of thinking about the unique advantages that we had, which were really talented developers and just coming up with a, a different sort of approach that we tested and making those games embeddable and, and building a add this game to your site button on it, that it ultimately got us to the point where we had this growth engine that um, helped us get bigger than them. Now, you know, with Uproar, that was the first place. So I'm not sure if you necessarily had this framework or just, you know, you happened to sort of implement it and now you've sort of solidified it. Is there maybe one other example that you can give where you went through that process in a structured way? So yeah, I mean, I definitely, it's definitely structured. You asked the audience of growthhackers.com, how do you currently find out about news pertaining to growth and growing businesses? But I guess what I'm trying to get at here is, in your case, the first idea worked. I mean, is it just a cost? How do you go about figuring out which channel you end up testing, I guess, is where I'm trying to get. Right. So you want to you build up as many ideas as you can, because ideas are, are basically free to come up with or cheap. And, you know, unless you're, unless you're sort of saying, I'm going to spend a month coming up with ideas, then you've got this time cost. But if you can pretty quickly come up with five or six or 10 ideas, then it's really about trying to figure out which one of those ideas are you going to test first. And if you had the same confidence in each of them as, as having the same potential impact, then you would want to start with, okay, which one's the easiest? You know, why, why would you implement something that's hard if, if you can do something that has the same potential and, and it's really easy? So you're just really prioritizing. But if something had, you know, 10 times the upside, if this thing works, It'll work really well, but it's going to be pretty hard to implement. So I'll give you an example with that. At Dropbox, we had a user-get-user incentivized referral program where it wasn't easy to implement because you had to build the tracking systems in place. You had to to build the notifications for users. You had to actually reward incentives of free space when somebody spread the word about Dropbox. But we knew if it worked – if it was an effective incentive that got people to spread Dropbox, that we would grow much more quickly than if we focused on Google AdWords, for example. Because what AdWords would you even buy for Dropbox? Maybe you'd buy like backup-related AdWords, but those were those were pretty bid up by other you know, enterprise backup companies. So this was a channel that if it worked, we, we would own that channel. People couldn't compete with us on that referral program itself. And so 
it was worth the extra effort of running that test. And we, we did test AdWords as well because it was easy. It was pretty clear that AdWords was not going to be a good way to grow the business. And so that referral program, in addition to some of the sharing that was already happening within Dropbox. And, and so we basically, once we tested that and saw that it was working, we got to the optimized step. So we prioritized, tested, analyzed the results. And at that point, it was clear that through just regular product usage and through incentivized referrals, that the analysis said those were effective ways to grow that business. And then the rest of the time has really been about optimizing those channels to make them work even better. And so Dropbox today has about 300 million users and has really not done any traditional marketing to get those 300 million users. It was really about just optimizing the channels that the analysis said was working. So it sounds like in that case also, I mean, you knocked it out of the park with the strategy that you ended up going with in the case of Dropbox, but also what was really key was coming up with an effective prioritization process. So you got to get, you brainstormed ideas. I don't know. I'm assuming there were other people that were part of that conversation. You had some sort of structure for determining. And in this case, you said the potential outcome. It's almost like an expected value calculation, I guess, in finance, where you're like, this is our expected outcome out of this one. Uh, so we'll invest this amount in this one channel. And this is our expected outcome from this other investment we're making. So we'll invest that amount. Not that that equation ever <laughs> comes up with the right number, but that should be approximately, you know, I guess how you prioritize. Sometimes it's a pure guess. And so like in the case where I was talking about with growth hackers, where instead of guessing that Twitter would be a good channel for us, the fact that we had evidence from asking users and they said, that's how, that, that's how they currently discovered this type of content and they said it in enough volume, basically nobody picked Facebook for that. Everybody was picking Twitter for it. So like with that evidence, that, that increased the likelihood that that would actually be a successful test for us. Got it. So that's one other component. And I'm assuming you used Qualaroo, not to, not to pitch uh, your own product, but I'm assuming you used Qualaroo as a way for generating that evidence. Yeah, it was, a, it was an easy question to ask. You know, because a lot of the people at that point didn't have accounts, so we had no other way to contact them than to just serve the question on the page. Yep. So, okay, so having evidence is, an, is another component of determining uh, which channel you prioritize. Yeah, the evidence uh, essentially affects your confidence in the outcome that, that is possible. Got it. So confidence would be another factor. Uh, so it's expected outcome and then confidence in that expected outcome. Right. So, so the three that I, I kind of use, a, I call it like an ICE score. So impact, confidence, and effort. Impact, which is in this case, outcome, confidence, and then effort. So ICE, that's a standard. Uh, no, it's, standard. Just, it's something that we just came up internally here with. It sounds slick. <laughs> uh, guys, make sure you run that ICE on there. Okay, well, cool. So yeah, I mean, that's really insightful. Have you ever gone through the process and it just flat out didn't work? Uh, yeah, like I said, with AdWords at Dropbox, like it was just clear that that was not a good channel for marketing Dropbox. And, and so another experiment that we did with Qualaroo is that we actually, we actually tried to make a really good free version in the early days. And 
with the expectation that that would accelerate overall adoption. And if we were uh, monetizing just a, a smaller proportion of that, but if that, that growth rate was really strong, on paper, it looked like that was totally the right move to do. But when we made it free, we found that there was almost no increase in adoption rate. So it gave the opposite result than we expected. But we learned from it that there was very little price sensitivity to the product, that if people wanted to ask their users questions on their website, that they needed to know it was reliable, they needed to know that it was a good experience for users. But as long as they knew those things, it being free didn't matter nearly as much. And and so we realized we could actually charge a lot more and actually stopped having the free version. So that changed the whole nature of the business to where we started focusing more upmarket. We invested heavily in product development. So the channels to a large degree actually affect even the product itself. That um, are, are you a high volume, low monetization or a low volume, high monetization? And how you invest in the product to serve that market is going to change based on that. But part, part of the formula of a successful business is, is about getting that value proposition right, getting the experience of the product right, and then getting the business model to jibe with the distribution model. Yep. So that makes a lot of sense. And it sounds like in this case, in the instances where uh, your assumptions or your sort of your expectations, what the outcome would be or the impact uh, would be turns out to be false in those instances. Really, that's just a question of how much runway you have in order to uh, cover the cost of those mistakes. Yeah, I wouldn't even call it a mistake. I would just call it a learning. A, you know, the, the, it's the, it's a test for a reason that you don't know what the result's going to be. So log me in. The opposite thing happened, and so that's what happens is you get kind of used to whatever playbook worked in the last company. You think it's going to work in the next one, and it rarely does. So at log me in when we came out with the product by the time we were done with product development a premium product had gotten a ton of traction and we knew that playing the game by their exact same rules we were we were going to have a hard time being successful so we decided that a freemium model for you know customer acquisition was going to be a important part of that business but we also then had to we basically had $8 per user per year was our was our costs with that business at the time and so we had to we had to rearchitect the product so that we could support a freemium business and basically the development team had a huge breakthrough but it took a couple of months and or a few months even until they had that breakthrough and then freemium could work and then we realized that freemium was the perfect model there that we accelerated growth by a ton with freemium there Awesome. Okay, so all these things need to work together, which is almost frightening just to think about in the sense that the odds of all of these working together is typically, I guess, not that high. But Yeah, and then, but if you keep iterating on each of them, the, the chances that you'll, that you'll get them to work together are pretty high as long as you got enough time and enough money. Exactly. Well, I think we learned a ton from you. We learned about the framework and some of the examples that you brought from the different companies that you've worked at and how you've gone through this process, failures and successes. So I really uh, greatly appreciate you taking the time today. You're welcome. And yeah, I mean, the one last thing that I would just suggest is that, you know, it all comes down to the ideas. And so you can get ideas from asking customers, but you can also get ideas from studying what's working for other companies. So often the best ideas I've had have been 
sort of looking at other companies and combining elements to build a growth program. So if you uh, just research lots of companies on growth hackers, we actually have a bunch of growth studies that you'll see in the navigation where you where we've broken down the growth engines for a bunch of different companies and uh, actually put them together in a in a Kindle book as well. If uh, you know, it's like a three dollar Kindle book, but it's but it's basically it's got like 10 different growth engines in there. And there's a good chance you'll come up with some some ideas that you can apply in your business based on what's worked well for some of these other companies. Awesome. People should definitely go check that out at growthhackers.com. So if people want to get in touch or how should they follow you on Twitter? Or yeah, so I'm pretty active on Twitter and I, and I uh, tend to respond to people who, who send me tweets. So my Twitter handle is Sean Ellis, S-E-A-N-E-L-L-I-S. And uh, hope to connect with people there. And then if you've got any other questions, we do have a Ask GH feature on Growth Hackers where if you post questions, um, and particularly if you then send me a tweet that says, I just posted this, heard the podcast, um, I'll, I'll jump on there and try to, try to answer it for you. Awesome. Thanks again. You're welcome. Thank you. Listeners, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this week's podcast. And I look forward to seeing you next week. Turn from dark to light and keep the music going Keep the good times rolling And now I'll never let it stop You'll only find me good